Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Minds on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And today is the first part in a two-part conversation that I had with Chrissy Isaac, who's a licensed clinical social worker, as well as a licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, and a community liaison with Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health, and Nicole Oro, who's a licensed professional counselor, as well as a licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, and is also the site director at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health's outpatient program in Hamilton, New Jersey. Both Chrissy and Nicole have done volunteer work with Penn Medicine during the coronavirus pandemic to help counsel our staff members who are on the front lines fighting the virus. So I invited them both on the podcast to talk about what that experience has been like for the healthcare workers, as well as what the experience has been like for them. So I hope you guys enjoy the conversation and find it helpful. Chrissy Isaac, Nicole Loro, thank you guys so much for coming on today. As you know, we're going to be talking about mental health of healthcare workers and how that's kind of being affected by the COVID crisis. So I guess I'm wondering if you could just tell everybody what kind of makes you qualified to talk about this. Sure. Currently, right now, I am helping in our Penn Cobalt system in terms of volunteering to provide uh, therapeutic services, counseling services for any of the healthcare providers that are in the Penn system mm-hmm. outside of my normal day-to-day work. So does that consist of like one-on-one counseling sessions? Exactly. Or? Okay. Right. And who are these people? Are they doctors, nurses, all of the above? Everyone. Really kind of the entire gamut of what you what we would expect in a healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Could you just explain real quick what you mean when you say Penn Cobalt? Obviously, I know what you're talking about, but some of the listeners might not. So Penn Cobalt is really a service that's provided through Penn Medicine as a clearinghouse, if you will, of any providers within the system that are able to provide services. So psychiatric services, um, peer-to-peer services, Mm -hmm. and counseling services, and a number of other services that I'm leaving out. And so if I'm an employee and I just feel that I need to speak with someone or just get some help or kind of check in with no pressure or no expectation in terms of maybe going through EAP, Employee Assistance Program, which is pretty typical in organizations. It's an opportunity just to really be able to access a service um, to support myself. So this is offered for all employees. Great. And how about you, Chrissy? What, What makes you feel like you're qualified to talk about this? So I have been working as a wellness ambassador where I've gone into our medical hospital and have met with our frontline staff, anyone from doctors, nurses, uh, techs, registration um, employees, nutrition, IT, whoever's in the building that wanted to talk or was available and wanted to see me. I've made myself available from a wellness perspective. Um, So my background as a licensed clinical social worker has helped me to kind of speak to the importance of self-care and help give people resources such as Cobalt and the Employee Assistance Program so that they know that we are there to support them as an agency, as organization, and that they know that there are resources that are out there that they can use and that they can use for free, which is pretty incredible. Awesome. Well... As a Penn employee, I would like to thank you both for the volunteer work that you're doing. Welcome. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Okay. So I guess I'm wondering if you guys can just give me an idea of 
what the experience of the front of the frontline healthcare workers that you've been working with has been like? I think it's so multifaceted. So when you know when we take a look at kind of trauma or an experience of trauma or anything like that that's acute or that's present, uh, car accidents and, you know, COVID and, and a lot of, a number of other different things. A lot of times it's, it's definitely connected to past trauma or childhood experiences mm-hmm. or things like that. So I think this was one of those things, what I found in providing therapeutic services was just really providing some education with our colleagues in terms of, you know, where this is kind of coming from and why the, their experience, you know, quote, didn't feel normal, or, you know, a lot of the feedback that I, I received in, in sessions was just not, not knowing why it was hard to go to work. I've, I've worked with the, at this hospital for, for 10 years, and I've seen people die, and I've seen horrible, you know, operations, and I've seen all these different things. Why is this so different now? So a lot of confusion in terms of why people were feeling the way they were feeling. I think the other part of it was, compassion fatigue and the guilt connected with that you know it's a lot of a lot of our colleagues i think the well the well was drying up in a sense and mm-hmm. um the pressure of more people are getting sick which means more people need to work to take care of these patients in hospitals um which means overtime is through the roof um, and there are, there's all these different opportunities, or maybe I'm on an OBGYN floor, but now I have to get switched over to the COVID floor and I don't have a choice in this. Um, so, so many different dynamics where I think in a healthcare environment, a lot of us are very used to working in, in, in crisis mode, in, in pressure, in an acute setting, and we do really well with it um, in, in spurts. And I think what started to catch up with a lot of people was chronic and prolonged exposure to these types of environments, not just within your work environment, but in all different pervasive areas. Now my home environment, because right outside my home, you know, stores are being broken into and there's rioting and things like that. Um, and now Philadelphia is shut down um, and now it's not safe to walk to work right now in conjunction with the state of New Jersey and the United States and the world. There was no break. Uh, There was no opportunity for this repeated exposure to trauma and traumatic like experiences for anyone to for anyone's brain to just decompress and make sense of it and try and figure it out and try and just really take care of themselves. And I think that just built up over time. So a lot of that was just being able to kind of live daily life in addition to all the other stressors that come relationship issues, family issues, uh, illnesses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not being able to have a break, but then you also mentioned sort of the change in your home environment. And I, one thing I was wondering when you were talking about that is like, in the past, people may have experienced, I mean, I'm sure 99% of them experienced terrible things at work, right? But they never really had to worry about bringing something home with them to the same degree that maybe they had to worry about this, right? Am, am I safe to go home and see my kids? Am I safe to go home and see maybe my older parents? Um, so is that one of those things that was kind of different as well? Or did that not really play much of a role? I definitely saw it in the hospital when people would come in and talk. I, I rounded a lot of different units, including the emergency department, the ICU, uh, one of the units that we converted into a completely COVID positive units. 
a, a lot of them did express that concern about going home and, you know, potentially exposing this to their family or that they felt isolated in their own home space because they wanted to reduce risk of transmitting anything that they might be carrying home with them. So they weren't seeing people in their family that might be in the same household, but have um, medical vulnerabilities, comorbidities, issues like that. I talked to a couple of people whose family did contract it and then they weren't sure, did it come from me? Did it mm. come from the grocery store? Where did it come from? And I, I think another phenomenon that we're experiencing is, especially with behavioral healthcare workers, you know, we are used to seeing trauma. Medical uh, healthcare workers are used to seeing medical traumas, but we're not used to, as people, living through the same trauma as everyone else that we're treating is mm. living through at the same time. And I think that that is a global issue from this pandemic is that, you know, there are so many different facets, like Nicole was saying, of, you know, how this is impacting our lives professionally and personally. And so it's definitely been a challenge for, you know, for all of us. And I think when we take a step back and, you know, kind of recognize our humanity within this pandemic, um, it can kind of shed light on why it's so important for us to focus on self-care and why it's so important for us to be able to have these types of discussions. I definitely agree. And I think that um, that challenge of, you know, Chrissy bringing up isolation, you know, what, what do we know and what are our suggestions to be able to manage and take, you know, take, take self-care really is to be able to connect and to be able to receive social support and to be able to, you know, go, go bike riding with a peer this weekend and see family and everything. And that really created the, the nature of this virus created a barrier to that. And so a lot of isolation, a lot of, um, and, and I still see that particularly with the holidays. The other thing, which I, I didn't expect to hear this. However, um, speaking to the humanity level that Chrissy was bringing up, what was upsetting as a therapist in trying to help these, you know, heroes, our colleagues treat very sick people and see this day in and day out and having to live this where, you know, the feedback they would say is the community wasn't always as compassionate. So if they, you know, were walking somewhere and were seen in scrubs, um, you know, people weren't saying thank you for treating everybody for the past 24 hours or 36 hours, people were moving away and kind of, um, turning their nose up and not really providing that that compassion to the heroes that are treating their loved ones and the community and everybody else. So I was pretty surprised at that, you know, which I recognize where it comes from and, and the fear that's connected to it. But I think that was that was very surprising to me as a therapist and, and upsetting to, to any anyone that I was talk, speaking with about that. Yeah. And similarly, I was hearing like, kind of things went in phases, like the message of our healthcare providers were, you know, we're heroes, they're heroes, um, has been definitely put on blast in a great way. But then I think as time continued to progress, you know, I don't think it's just our healthcare workers that are feeling almost like compassion fatigue. I think a lot of people are feeling, I think it's the term people are using is like COVID fatigue, mm -hmm. right? So then it's like, Initially, even when um, healthcare workers, the message that, you know, thank you to our heroes was out there, I would have um, people tell me that, you know, they would go into grocery stores and stuff like that. And if they were wearing any kind of uh, fleece with like insignia of, you know, the pet medicine logo, 
if people saw that it was a healthcare worker, they might kind of back away and be a little bit more social distance. And so people did feel that isolation even at that point. But now it's like, I'm hearing stories that um, within the community, people that have to be treated as patients or family members of patients are not necessarily approaching with the same type of gratitude as maybe was given at the beginning. And I think that that is in part due to COVID fatigue that we're all kind of sick and tired of living through this right now. Mm. And it's been very challenging for everyone and that includes the community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's hard when we think about that, right? Because in some ways, you can't really blame people for being scared, you know. But of course, all the healthcare workers that are on the front lines are definitely heroes and you want them to be treated as such. But Chrissy, also, I love that point that you made about all the frontline workers, nurses, doctors, techs, etc. They're probably used to seeing, you know, especially if you're like are a trauma nurse in the ER or something, you're used to seeing people coming in with terrible injuries, right? But you're not always in that with them. I mean, if someone comes on with in with a, a terribly mangled leg or something, you don't also have a terribly mangled leg. I think the thing about the situation that's unique that you were pointing out is like everyone is living this reality together. So that kind of forces you to bring more of yourself into a situation than you might normally. Absolutely. And I think knowing that not only are you working to treat someone's medical condition, but that their medical condition that you're treating can very well compromise your health or compromise the health of people, your colleagues, whoever. It's, it's you're right. It is the same. We're working through the same concerns mm-hmm. that we're treating. Anything else that surprised you guys when you were working with the healthcare workers? What was an awesome surprise for me to see was how amazing people can work together in such stressful times, Mm -hmm. you know, teamwork, you know, a huge part of working through this pandemic for healthcare providers was being versatile, flexible, being able to kind of go from a situation where they're working in one particular specialization and then bam, they're, you know, they're on a different unit, all hands on deck were needed, but to see the teamwork come together that way and to see people find moments of laughter moments of, hey, did you guys watch this show last night? Or, you know, the conversations that really kind of worked towards wellness that were happening naturally coming from team teamwork and coming from that cohesion was really beautiful to see. And the resilience of everything was beautiful to see as well. So we talked a little bit about sort of what the experience of the healthcare workers was like while you were working with them and what they currently are. I guess I'm wondering if we can dive in a little bit more to how specifically this crisis has affected their mental health. Like, what have you guys noticed in terms of the complaints that people are are coming in with or the symptoms that people are coming in with? You know, I could imagine there's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of trauma stuff going on. I'm just wondering if you could touch on that a little bit. And and I guess my hope here is that maybe we'll highlight a few things and we'll kind of normalize a lot of this for maybe some healthcare workers that, that will listen to this. I know I spent a lot of time just providing some education in terms of what, you know, what it, what it looks like and how it kind of comes out in a sense when we have that exposure to kind of chronic and, and acute crises and then how it's really sometimes triggering for childhood memories or relationship issues mm-hmm. um, or depression or anxiety. 
and really trying to kind of tap into that resilience that um, that human beings have and an opportunity just to be able to kind of make, I think, to make sense of it. We like, as human beings, we really like to make sense of things. We like to know, you know, why things happen the way they happen. It makes us feel safe and secure. And so, the you know, the rollout, if you will, of COVID and that experience, there was so much that was unknown. Um, and there was these weeks and months of just not knowing what it meant to be exposed and um, what it meant to be sick and what it meant to be a healthcare worker. Um, and it was just this, another environment of really just anticipatory anxiety or ambiguity of what was happening. Um, and we don't do well necessarily as human beings with not having some degree of certainty. Certainty and predictability really translates for us to be safety and security. Um, we like knowing that our paycheck comes every two weeks. It makes us feel safe. We don't have to worry about when is my paycheck going to come, if it's going to come intermittently. Um, and that was just one of the things I think really took a turn for a lot of people in trying to kind of manage day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that you keep pointing out, which I appreciate, is that um, you you might be able to relate to having like a um, a hectic job or like a, a job that's high stress. But you may be really good at compartmentalizing that if you've been doing it for a long time. But I think what I hear you saying a lot is this was the kind of thing that really crept into each aspect, each ring of, of a person's life, right? Like it affected your friends. It affected your family. It affected your home. It affected, you know, your social life. It wasn't just a work problem. A lot of people probably really weren't able to compartmentalize the work stuff that they were going through in the same way that maybe they would have been able to in the past if it was a different situation. And not just compartmentalize, Andy. I think the key you're exactly hinting on, and I would have this dialogue a lot, is the messages, the meta messages, um, the, the obvious messages in each area of my life. When I walked out the door, the very nature of having to explain to a child or a loved one or myself why are no stores open? Why is everything shut down? Why can I not drive? Um, what, you know, because there's a state of emergency. Why is everyone wearing a mask? Um, the, the subtle yet obvious nature of that entire dynamic, environmental stressors and environmental um, messages, in a sense, creates a communication to me that the world is not safe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then subsequently, when I am at work, the world is not safe because it literally is not safe. And I'm not really sure what to do. Maybe wear a mask, wash my hands. Is that enough to keep myself and my loved ones safe? And so again, I'm sitting in this uncertainty and feeling very unsettled. In addition to that spilling over that you're speaking of, again, we, our brains need breaks. And so when I'm at work, uh, whether I'm an accountant, I work at a grocery store, whatever the case may be, if I'm experiencing stressors there, what do I say to myself? Well, I'll be done at 6 p.m. and I can't wait to go home and right. just be with my family mm -hmm. and have that separation. But guess what now? Now that separation for such a high percentage of people is actually in their ha their home as well. So it's at work, it's in my street, it's in my stores, it's in my home, it's on the news. I can't get away from it. It's in social media. And so really... Other than disconnecting from the world, in a sense, um, there was no break. 
I have an analogy for you. Ready? I'm about to blow your mind. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Before I started counseling and working with the um, working in the substance use field, one of my favorite shows was Intervention. Right? Like I I just used to find it interesting, and I thought, you know, it was just a good show in terms of showing how people, different people, went through the process of managing their addiction. However, after I started working in the field of substance use, that very quickly became a show that I really didn't want to watch anymore when I was at home just trying to relax because I felt like I was at work, you know? And I think what you're saying here is like, essentially for healthcare workers, it was almost as if intervention was was on every screen it was everywhere uh and there was there was pretty much no escaping it absolutely and and what do we do you know so if i have a friend who's a nurse or a doctor or you know works in the infection control area particularly with um covid i'm calling them and i'm asking them what their opinion is so what I, what I, the feedback I really got was, okay, so they're done with work. And then all of a sudden family members are calling, whether they were, you know, thinking that COVID was a um, political ploy or didn't believe in it or thought the world was shutting down. So they were getting this added stress at, during the holidays or on the weekends from their family members and friends. Um, the people that they used to be able to, you know, be seen as a reprieve, as an opportunity for social support and just to kind of connect, they weren't receiving that reprieve. They were actually, you know, down to being sent videos where it's all, um, you know, they show up at work and they're seeing people pass away and they're seeing people so ill. And then friends and family are challenging that it doesn't actually, it's not real. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it creates this kind of, you know, again, this this mental chaos that even if I'm home and I'm like, let me watch a great, you know, a great uh, show that's going to, it's not going to be Grey's Anatomy. It's not going to be anything like that. I'm not going to watch the news. I'm going to stay off social media. Then all of a sudden family members are calling and kind of doing this. I think really, you know, Nicole does a great job of describing the magnitude and the gravity in which this is impacting anyone that's in the healthcare profession, but all of us in general as human beings. Because when we look at a person and when we treat them in therapy, we look at what we call the biological, psychological, and social aspects of their wellness. And usually we find, you know, maybe one area biologically, psychologically, or socially might have more stressors than others. But what I think we're describing here is like every single aspect is really on high stress right now. Biologically, we are considered, you know, we're considering health threats everywhere. You know, the the definition of trauma is, you know, feeling that your wellness or your life is threatened to some degree or the life of someone you love or care about is threatened to some degree. And when we, you know, kind of look at the pandemic that way, it's, you know, kind of continued chronic ongoing trauma. We can't even get to the point of post-traumatic stress because this is a crazy phenomenon where the trauma is not stopping. And so when we talk about how it's impacting us biologically, that's absolutely there. Psychologically, when we're also experiencing that stress or threat to our health and wellness or the stressors of our occupation, which is in general in healthcare, you know, usually runs on high stressors psychologically of our loved ones, our families, like, you know, psychologically, all of us have really endured a ton of stressors. Socially, again, we're feeling a lot of this isolation, disconnect from people. And really, 
it, it has infiltrated every aspect of of people's lives, mm-hmm. this pandemic. And so, you know, it's difficult to create these means of a break or escape. And that's where really kind of connecting with a therapist or learning more about self-care can be so beneficial. There's like a phrase that I would use with people. Sometimes you got to take it a day at a time, but sometimes you got to take it an hour at a time or a minute at a time. And if that's how we figure out ways that are healthy for us to cope through this pandemic with all of the uncertainty that Nicole did a great job of, you know, kind of describing, these are things to think about. But getting back to symptoms that, you know, I was observing, people would come in and talk about, you know, I've never really felt like on edge. I don't consider myself to be someone that would be um, cranky or like would snap at someone, but I found myself fighting with my fiance or fighting with my friend or arguing with a coworker. So I think feeling that irritability is a normal symptom. Mm -hmm. When we're under so much stress, we're going to feel that we can only handle so much. (laughs) So it's, it's to some degree, I want to normalize that if we're feeling irritable. Some people talked about loss of interest in certain things. That is a common symptom when we're feeling depressed or, you know, again, under, a lot of the stress that we've been enduring, the things that we might've, might've given us reprieve in the past. Maybe it was music, maybe it was, you know, our favorite TV shows. Maybe these things are not as appealing to us anymore right now. Sleep patterns can be disruptive. Sometimes people like I know myself today, I definitely slept a good 10 hours, <laughs> you oh know, and I'm so jealous. <laughs> And sometimes it's needed, right? But if I find myself sleeping 10 hours every day that I get a chance to do so, then maybe I need to talk about that with my therapist. Or Mm -hmm. if I find that I can't sleep more than three hours a night, that's, you know, another symptom, sleep disturbances. Um, I think sometimes people talk about drinking. It's, you know, this is a social thing that a lot of people incorporate into, you know, dinner time or wherever. But if they find people are drinking a little more than they used to. That's something to keep an eye on. That's a common symptom because again, sometimes that becomes a coping mechanism that isn't necessarily the healthiest means of coping through this. Um, You know, hopelessness, helplessness, these are all symptoms again that, you know, just to kind of keep an eye on. I think when we're talking about such uncertainty, we start to feel hopeless and helpless in these circumstances. Um, And so to know that that is a normal thing to feel, given that we're living through a pandemic, but if we start to feel that way, it's so important for us to be able to have a supportive um, person, like a therapist, that we can go to and really help, help to shed light and increase our own insights into what we can do to look at that and to work through that. Because I agree completely with Nicole that we all have such resiliency, but it's figuring out how we channel our resiliency and how we use that resiliency towards, you know, building back or building, adding to our wellness. I always said that I think one of the greatest things about group therapy, and I think the importance of this really can't be overstated, is that you realize that you're not alone, right? So there are other people out there who are depressed. There are other people out there who are anxious, who have trauma, etc. cetera. Um, sometimes you might be hesitant to talk about this with your coworkers, even though you're in the same situation because you don't want to be a drag. You guys are already trying to deal with stressful situations. So you don't want to, you know, add to the stress level. Uh, I know I've certainly felt like that before. So is there anything you guys feel like we should talk about? Anything else you feel like we should talk about? 
you know, kind of keeping track of what am I overdoing or underdoing and how do I find and create a balance for myself in a world where normal is so subjective and it always was, but more so now these days than ever, you know, I think having that balance is something that is so important to all of us. I'm struggling still to figure out what that looks like for myself in a pandemic world. Mm -hmm. And that's where I find therapy can be so helpful, you know, because you have someone that can kind of take a look with you at your circumstances and help, you know, to give you some suggestions to create and maintain maybe different different balances that I wouldn't have thought of before or come up with activities or things that, you know, I haven't tried that I might enjoy. If things, you know, that I used to like doing, I, I don't so much anymore. That's okay. That's normal right now. But are there different things that I can identify that I haven't thought of that might help? And that's where therapy, I think, is so, so beneficial.